Hey, welcome everyone to another episode of the Going VC podcast. I'm JJ. Hey, and I'm Austin, and that's good to be back. And as you likely know by now, certainly we're the host of the podcast. And man, we got a great episode for you today. But before we dive in, just a quick reminder, goal of this podcast, as always, is discuss a variety of topics as it relates to breaking into or accelerating your career in the venture capital industry. So JJ, let's introduce our guests and give them a quick rundown on what we can expect today. Sounds good, Austin. Our guest today is John Gannon, Going VC's founder. In today's episode, we talked about John's background, breaking into venture capital, building a personal brand, as well as the importance of diversity and inclusion. All right. Yeah, I mean, John Gannon, the OG. What, what else is there to say? You know, co-founder of Going VC, he's an investor, really has really created the mission for Going VC of transparency, diversity, inclusion in venture capital. And I think it's a really interesting episode because John really just walks us through from soup to nuts, how he went from an Ivy League education, working at startups to ultimately becoming an investor and venture capital. So there's just a ton, a ton of actionable takeaways in this episode, which is always exciting for us as hosts, I think. That's right, Austin. Now with that out of the way, let's get started. Hope you all enjoy. Why don't we get started? John, you certainly don't need really any sort of background on who we are and what uh, we're doing with the Going BC podcast. And I would, pardon the pun, venture to guess that most of our listeners are probably somewhat familiar with you. But uh, I do want to go back a bit where to where it all started, because we know that the VC industry was born out of the whaling industry. And I think one of your first jobs was working at a fish market in high school. I would say there were some early indicators, but tell us more about you know who you are and how you carved out your path. Yeah, absolutely. And also, thank you for having me on the podcast. Of course. I am just super excited to be here, and I've been looking forward to this for, for a long time. So let me just start there and thank you for doing this as well overall, because I think I listen to it every two weeks. I wait anxiously on Monday mornings for that episode to drop, and so it's cool to be a part of it now. But yeah, happy to dive in with a bit of, of background about me and where we ended up here today. I like to consider myself a, a product-focused uh, operator and builder, but I also have an investing and blogging. And that's 20 years in the making. Where uh, things started, like you said, a Huston was when I was in high school, I, I worked a bunch of different odd jobs. One of which, my very first job literally was at a fish market. So baked, broiled, fresh fried, we did it all. And then also had the typical like mall food court job and things like that. But around that time, I discovered the internet and I went to work for my local uh, internet service provider. Back in the day, there were regional companies that, that offered internet service through dial-up and, and eventually high-speed lines. So that was really the launch of my tech career. And right out of college, I joined a pre-IPO startup and this is uh, 1999. So in the good old days. <laughs> and that was a, a really interesting and awesome experience. After that, I was an early employee at VMware, joined when I was about 300 employees. And that was, I would say, really a, a kind of a pivotal moment in my career. The company was doubling revenue year over year. And when you get an opportunity like that, it's, it's just magical because it doesn't come up uh, very often in one's career. I'm just really grateful to have had it. And it, it really helped me actually land in venture capital after business school as a post-MBA associate. After that, I, I went back to the operating side. I was employee number one 
at a company called Turbonomics, basically joined up with five PhD founders. I was the first uh, full-time hire. And that's a company that's now gone on to be a hundred million plus revenue company, et cetera. And then right now, in addition to the, a lot of the things I think folks who are listening to this probably know me for, I'm a, a product lead for the marketplace at DigitalOcean, the cloud computing company that's doing well. And I'm, I'm really happy and proud to be a, a part of that as well. And where we are today is Going VC. I'm the co-founder of Going VC. Started that three or four years ago. It's an outgrowth of the blog and newsletter that I've been maintaining for the last 12 plus years. So that's what I'm spending a lot of time on now, obviously. <laughs> and through that also Going VC Partners, which is our investment arm, where we've invested in uh, 15 plus companies, depending on when this uh, airs, and really focus at the seed stage. Although certainly we will participate in, in A round as well, and a lot of different uh, verticals and sectors because of the breadth we have in the Going VC alumni and, and member network now 300 plus folks strong. I, I appreciate it. My first question for you is you moved around a lot of different companies. I know that's characteristic when you're working for startups. Was going to startups a conscious decision that you made as opposed to going for a larger company? I know late 90s, it was really attractive. No, in, in 99, I was graduating from UPenn with a CS degree and I went through the typical on-campus recruiting process then and, and I had an offer to join Goldman Sachs and, and their IT team. And in parallel, I had become aware of this company called Science, which was a uh, get your air quotes ready, an e-business systems <laughs> integrator. And I, I remember very distinctly the comparison I was making in my head. I asked the folks at Goldman, hey, when will I be able to work on production systems? And they said, oh, it's probably going to be about a year. And then when I asked the same question to the folks at Science, they said, day one, that really made the decision for me. Yeah, that makes sense. My follow-up question was, yeah, how did you move around so much? You seem to be very big on, obviously, people who know you from your newsletter and venture capital networking and, and building your brand and getting to know people. Was that a, a big part of, of how you were able to go from start, startup and company to company? Yeah, I, I would say if I rewind back and look at the last 20 years of my career and I think about the jobs that I've had, every single job that I got was through my network. I applied to other jobs and, and tried to go in through the front door, but every job that I successfully got and then actually joined the company had, had been completely through network. So I'm, I'm definitely very fortunate to, to be in a position to, to, to have done that. I know it's not true for a lot of folks. And that's one of the things that I'm actually passionate about is I think everyone can develop the tools and then consequently the network to be able to get that kind of leverage in their career. What experience was most impactful there? Looking back, are you able to see your experience in smaller companies as an operator, as a product manager, providing a glide path to becoming an investor? Yeah, it's hard to say which individual experience was most impactful because I think they all end up fitting together in some way and, and build on each other in hindsight. Uh, it's definitely not a, a grand plan that I wrote out on a vision board somewhere. Uh, at the same time, there were, I would say, job to job, those decisions are definitely deliberate, but I can't say I had this 15-year view of where things 
would turn out or where I wanted them to, to turn out. The other thing I would say is that I heard about this from a, a, a business partner, this quote from a Greek poet known as the fox and the hedgehog. And the, the quote is, the fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including myself, identify more with the fox in that you're interested in, in lots of different things and you have lots of different ideas and, and you want to play in a bunch of different spaces. I don't think it's necessarily good or, or bad, just at least in my personal experience. On the other hand, hedgehogs are great too, right? There's something to be said for just being completely driven and focused on one thing. And for me, I have been involved in lots of different functional areas, types of companies and industries, BC and, and certainly other industries. And it's been a strength for me, like any strength, it, it, there's always a flip side and there's probably some weaknesses and blind spots that it gives me as well. But I think all in all, it's paid off, really keeps me fresh and learning and happy. How would you give that advice, John, to someone who's trying to break into venture capital? Because a lot of times, a lot of guests that we have here say, find one sector and just learn everything you possibly can about it. Develop investment theses, put those in front of funds that you want to work for. Is that the a good way of thinking about it? And, and I guess, can that evolve over time that maybe once you get into the industry, you start to become a generalist or is that not generally the case? When you're getting started and certainly at the, the more junior levels, I do think it's really important to be known for a thing. Now, what that thing is, I think you have some flexibility there, but I've heard specific feedback from people who have interviewed with firms and from firms themselves that, yeah, sure, they expect you to have what I call the tech crunch level understanding of tech and VC, right? What's going on, what's topical, what's timely. Mm -hmm. But they want you to really be able to, as one investor put it to me, sit in a room with them for 45 minutes and be able to talk extemporaneously about a specific market or topic in, in tech and startups. That's really the, the litmus test. And the good news is there's a lot of different places you can focus, but you need to figure out what that is for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I like to use something called the sweet spot technique. If you visualize a Venn diagram where you have three circles and those three circles are your personal interests, your professional interests, and your passions, if you look at where those circles intersect, it's a very rare chance that anyone will have the same things in that intersection, right? Because everyone's coming from different places from those for those three things. And mm -hmm. so when people ask me, hey, wh where should I focus? I love blockchain. I love this. I love that. Or I worked in this industry, et cetera. I really encourage them to take that step back and literally write out, spend half an hour writing out where have I come from personally, professionally, what are my passions? And then looking at where those things intersect and hey, perhaps that's an area that you wanna really dig into from a startup and VC perspective and build an investment thesis for brand around, around that. Oh, that's really helpful. I think, and I think the two, that passion part's so important because at the end of the day, 
you know, ultimately what's going to drive you to learn more and more is just being passionate about that, that specific niche or, or whatever it, it ends up being. That makes a lot of sense. So I do eventually, you know, want to talk about going VC also, but I'd love to also just talk about your marketing and your newsletter. Cause I think that's a lot of how people also at least get introduced to you. It's wildly successful. You can Google it and you generally come up on the first page, if not the first results for venture capital news and newsletter and job opportunities and alerts. Why did you start that? How did you get going with wanting to, to, to do something like that? If you rewind back to uh, 2006, it really all started when I got that call from admissions at Columbia Business School telling me that I had gotten accepted. And it's, as I say this, actually, I feel the emotion like rushing back because I remember <laughs> that day. Soon after that, I don't know why I decided to do it, but I said, hey, I'm going to start blogging and I'm going to blog about my business school experience. I'm going to share what I'm learning. The blog never got a, a ton of traffic. That was never the goal. But what I think hooked me on the whole sort of blogging thing was that I had these people who were leaving comments, asking questions. I would meet people who would say, oh, you're John. I read your blog. And it's been really helpful to me. That's where I got the bug. When I got out of business school, I uh, ended up going to work for a VC firm. And during that process and that whole job search, which everyone listening obviously is, is interested in and knows that that is a very hard search and it was for me, is that there wasn't a lot of resources out there, especially back in, the, in that time, very different now. But there weren't a lot of resources out there. And, and there were certain resources that I really like, I learned from. So I said, hey, let me just stand up a new blog, if you will, new site. And I'll just link to the best stuff that I can find that I think is useful and helpful. And so I started pointing people at that. I didn't actually start the newsletter until a few slash several years in, which in hindsight was a mistake. I should have started that on day one. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it, it got started. Yeah, it's pretty right. It's pretty amazing. I'd love to dig a little deeper into a comment you just made that back then, 10, 12 years ago, there weren't that many resources out there. And now, especially I feel like in the last year with everyone stuck at home, there's an explosion of content online, whether that is people on Twitter or the YouTube channels or Medium, Substack, that sort of thing. Do you think it's become harder to build a niche for yourself? A couple of thoughts about that. One is that on the plus side, it's never been easier to get started. The tools are just amazing, way better than they were 10 years ago. They're super easy to use and many of them are low cost or no cost. What I see people really get hung up on is, oh my God, should I be doing Substack or maybe should I do Medium or should I get my own domain? Or No, focus on thinking through what is that, what is that sweet spot? What is your personal monopoly? And just get started. There's so many new industry sectors, technologies, et cetera, being born every week, every month, every year, that there's always some sort of twist or angle that you can be uniquely focused on and really lean into. So overall, there's more volume of content and people who have a Substack and have medium and are writing, let's say 90, 95% of those folks 
they write two newsletters and they stop. They write a medium post once a month for four months and then they stop. The thing that I always say to folks is if you stick with it and it could be a blog, it could be a newsletter, it could be a meetup series, it could be a monthly dinner series. There's so many different ways to express and, and project that, that brand that is authentic to you. But if you stick with it for a year, two years, et cetera, you will see results. Now, will you be a YouTube star making $2 million a year? Probably not. But will your network be way deeper? Will you have strong relationships that you can leverage in terms of finding that next gig or getting yourself into VC? Absolutely. And so that's why I think it's really important not only to figure out where that personal monopoly is or that sweet spot is for yourself, but, but actually, if you want to project that brand into the world and that knowledge and that passion, pick the right channel for you. You really want to just do it to do it versus like, I'm doing it to build a big audience in two years, or I'm doing it to get a job in VC. Do it because you actually want to do it. Find that thing that you actually want to do. And everyone's got it. It just, you, sometimes you have to dig for it. Sometimes you have to try a couple things and figure out, hey, you know what? I don't like blogging or eh, not so big on running events, but everyone can find it. And eventually you will lock in on what that thing is, but you've got to just stick with it and keep showing up over and over again. That makes sense. Like that metaphor, find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, I think that's certainly a good way to, to think about it. And I think that thing you love, you need to love that area of tech or startups specifically that you're going to be focused on and really trying to learn backwards and forwards. But also, if you're thinking about projecting that out in the world some way, making sure that you're using the, the projection channel, if you will, that's most aligned with what you get excited about. That makes sense. So what are your sweet spots? Helping people with their careers, I imagine, is definitely one of them. But what are your other sweet spots? Yeah, yeah, sure. I've drawn these circles for myself and shared it in certain contexts. But if you think about, for me, for personal, professional, and, and, and passion, so I have a real passion for connecting people, connecting one person to, to another in a very individualized, specific way. And I don't know why I like to do that, but I, I just like to do it. <laughs> and then professionally, the startup and, and certainly the venture experience. And then from a personal perspective, I think it's, for me, it's, it's tied to the passion. So maybe I only have two circles. It's really that just nature that I've had over the years, even early in my career, to be that person who was always trying to help people find jobs, get in the door, help them with the resume, things like that. And so for me, I think the way that I express a lot of that now is through building things like going VC and building things like my newsletter uh, because it, it allows me to just help a lot more people and do it in a scalable way. Nice. I love it. Yeah. Maybe we just go further on what we were talking about, how you got started with going VC. I think a lot of people know what it is. If you can continue on, on why, what was so important that made you want to take that step to actually do it? 
how do you see going VC solving the problem that you set out to solve in the industry? Really, it came out of a realization after having run my blog and, and newsletter for, for many years that there was an opportunity to be able to help folks searching for venture capital jobs in a very specific way that, uh, frankly, I or no one else was, was helping them do at that, that point in time. And this is something that I never had when I was looking for my, my venture job out of business school is there was no community of the folks who were really focused on getting to the same place. It just didn't exist. I remember in business school, there were two or three people tops who were dead set on getting into venture. And certainly we talked to each other and swap notes and things like that, but it wasn't a platform that could really give me scale as a job seeker and that could really empower me and, and motivate me in the sense that the, the venture job hunt, one of my, my mentors, this uh, person named, named Ben Choi, who was he was at Storm Ventures and, and Maverone, and he was an alumni of Columbia Business School, which is how I got to know him. And I think it was him who said, if you don't love the venture job search, you're not going to love working in venture. And number one, he was totally right. But number two, there was still, even though I knew that's what I wanted to do and I was devoted to it, there were tons of low points. I remember the commencement for Columbia and I was there and I remember I, I didn't really get a chance to participate because I think I had to run downtown to do an interview or I had to take a call with someone who I was trying to potentially get a job with. Meanwhile, the the dentists are waving the big toothbrushes and everyone's having a great time. And I'm, I'm like graduated without a job basically. And fortunately everything turned out well. And I, I looking back, I, I think everything worked out in a way perfectly, but if I had 50, 60, 70 people who were all pulling for me and I was pulling for them to get to the, the same next step in our careers, it just would have been transformative for me. And I said, hey, let's experiment. Let, let's see if we can create a focused community and educational program where we're in essence connecting highly motivated VC job seekers, highly qualified VC job seekers with content with community with a network that can help them succeed and so that was really the the idea and then just typical kind of startup stuff like really scrappy did did sort of a mvp side project which in essence became going bc cohort one we, we're just now starting cohort eight so to give you a sense of how far we've come and really I partnered up with with arno who's our our ceo and my, my co-founding partner and just over the last few years have, have just really scaled it and really seen what I think are the early innings of what going VC can become, but more importantly, what can it do to drive, I think, the outcomes that we all want for the venture industry as a whole in mm -hmm. terms of transparency, in terms of diversity across all dimensions, and also 
in terms of an inclusive venture and startup environment. Right. So I graduated in 2009, the heart of the crisis. I fortuitously double majored in finance and real estate, which is like the worst combination of all time at that time. (laughs) I graduated without a job and it took six months of just meeting people and putting myself out there. And it was really uncomfortable to get started with going BC. And you talked about this a little bit, John, was transforming the industry. We talk a lot about transparency. Um, The diversity and inclusion in the industry is something that I think is starting to be certainly more aware of. You see a lot more of it, which is really great. I would I'd love your perspective on how that fits in with going VC, how we actually go about making that come to fruition within the program and where that aligns with you personally and how it played into you starting going VC in, in general. Sure. I'm happy to, to talk about that. And I want to preface it with, with, with two things. One is uh, I'm a uh, father of, of three wonderful kids. And uh, two of them are uh, my twin daughters who were, were first in line. Uh, my son came a bit after them. So I definitely have a personal stake in some of this discussion, particularly as it pertains to, to, to women and in venture capital, but really in all aspects of careers and, and work, right? Because I'm, like I said, I'm a dad of, of, of two, two daughters. Uh, the other thing I would say is I, I'm a white male with two Ivy League degrees and Austin, you had joked that it's a caricature of what people say is wrong with the VC world right now. <laughs> and I think that's a fair point. I've, I've had a, a ton of advantages that have helped me get to where I am. And, and I recognize that I'm, I'm not walking in the shoes of folks who have not had that kind of background. So one of the things that I've, I think, learned over the last few years is that to move the conversation forward, I just have to know that I'm not going to get everything right, but I just have to put myself out there and, and really just try to do what, what I think is the right thing. And I'm very open to feedback and learning and ideas and, and also, hey, John, maybe you need to do this other thing or, hey, this thing you said, it, it rubbed me the wrong way and here's why. And I want you to know that so that I can learn and, and move forward as, as well. So I want to start there. In terms of Things that folks who are listening, who are in the industry now, I'm happy to share some things that I think can help if you want to be someone who can try to move the conversation forward and try to improve the situation that we have in venture. I think the first thing I I talked about is there's there's really that that sort of listening and learning piece that I, I alluded to. And for me, Part of that over the last few years has been to really be proactive and try to seek out voices and opinions, people that I might not normally run into in my day-to-day. That piece is step one. It's not hard to start doing that, particularly with the level of social media that's out there now. It's not too hard to find some voices that maybe you haven't heard before. And in fact, as a VC or as someone who wants to be a VC, one of your jobs is to identify voices that are differentiated and that are frankly just super sharp, right? And mm-hmm. those voices exist across many different spans of demographics, background, et cetera. So 
doing that is actually part of your job as a VC. And after doing that, and, and I don't think you ever stop, right? You want to continually cultivate that is figure out what can you do? What is an actual actionable thing you can do to, to try to help move the industry forward? And I think, again, to my earlier point, you may not get it right the first time. You may do something that your heart is in the right place, but there might be a few folks who disagree with it. I think folks just want to see things move forward. They want to see people doing things that are going to move the conversation forward and really taking action. And that, that's something that I've become a little more comfortable with over the, the years. I still have work to do there, but I think that it's really about putting yourself out there, really advocating, or, or one term I've heard uses is be an accomplice to take an action and, and drive a result at a super micro level, retweeting interesting content that you're seeing from folks who maybe don't fit your core demographic. That's a really easy and, and, and simple thing that anyone can do. How do you truly advocate for folks who maybe are not currently in the, the majority in, in the venture world? Like, how do you open your network up in a major way and directly advocate for them? Yeah, it's great if you're going to retweet something. But what's even greater is if you introduce that person to someone in your network. Mm. What's even better is if you put your, not only your personal capital, but your financial capital and put that to work, the percentage of funding that goes to folks who are you know, basically not white male is abysmally small. Mm-hmm. in both into startups and also into the folks who are running the venture funds themselves. If I look at Going VC Partners and the investments that, that we made, we're not over-indexing by a, a large degree to the rest of the industry, but we have invested in, I think it's something like 25% of our, our companies have at least one female founder and about the same percentage have at least one black founder. And I think we can certainly do better there. And to improve that ratio, one of the things that I get excited about with going VC is if you look at, for example, cohort seven, which was our most recent fully completed cohort, 52% of that cohort identified as underrepresented minority uh, groups. And if you look at that 40% or so of folks who go through the Going VC program end up working in a venture role. If you think about over time, the next three, four, five, six years, if we're graduating, say 200 people per year, you have a lot more folks who are out there writing checks and the time will tell. But I think that impact that we can potentially have through going VC is what really gets me excited. And we're not perfect. We, we obviously have a lot of, of work to do, but I do get excited because I think we do have the potential to really make a difference in the industry in attacking the problem in this way. Yeah. And I get the sense too, which is really great. I feel like the industry has moved past like DNI, something that we, we need to do. It's something that now we accept as truly adding value for all the right reasons. Um, Curious, you've got your finger on the pulse of this initiative, certainly more than I do, but do you feel like we're 
really starting to, to get traction and momentum? I can say quantitatively, there's a lot of firms who are trying to do fellowship programs where it, I would say it's the way I understand them to be is, is like internship plus some educational components mm-hmm. and sort of a community slash cohort based activities. And there's definitely a lot of those that are now, I would say over the last year and change coming on the scene, lots of different firms are doing them or, or have done them. I know Costa Noah Ventures has a program like that. Susa Ventures has a program like that. Uh, Lear just launched one somewhat recently. And then I'm probably leaving off 20, 30, 40, 50 different <laughs> firms that, that probably have these, these programs. That is, is definitely a good thing. The thing that I just don't know is if someone goes through that, that program, where do they end up after that program? Unless you're a, you know, a huge firm of which there are not many, then you, you can't hire 10 people. Sure. Maybe you can only hire one person, but really seeing what the, the results are, either from a perspective of someone getting hired or someone who can point back and say, through the fellowship, I learned X, Y, Z, and they introduced me to people A, B, C, and person B hired me. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. because ultimately it's about the, the results. And I, I think that's why folks are creating these programs and hopefully they are driving those results because there's a lot of really great firms who are spinning these programs up. Yeah, definitely. So I see we're coming up on time here. Any final thoughts for the audience today to wrap things up? I think the whole to the VC job search is really in whatever interactions you're having with people, be they an entrepreneur, be it a VC firm, is really coming to them in the spirit of, of thinking about how can you help them. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of folks in the venture ecosystem who are happy to take that coffee meeting with you, meet you, give you some advice, but really think about how you can do the job of a VC before you actually have the job. How can you deliver value across the areas that VCs and entrepreneurs care about and really be proactive in that. And I know it's tough early on in your search where frankly, you might not really know what what the right way is to conduct a search or what are the things you need to think about, et cetera. But once you get started, really trying to give first and be a resource for whoever you come into contact with and being really creative in terms of how you offer that up to folks. Really tactical, simple example would be if you're meeting with a VC firm before the meeting, go to their portfolio company jobs page. Most of them have one. Look at the jobs. Do you have any friends who would be a good fit for those jobs? Mention to the VC that you have some friends who would be great fits for some of the portfolio company positions. Ask them if they would be open to connecting with those folks. Very simple stuff like that can actually go a long way and differentiate you from, I would say, 70, 80% of VC job seekers who are really just approaching it with, I'm looking for a job. Are you hiring? How can I get a job with you? Really flip the script and think about what value can you deliver to them days, weeks, even months before you even consider having a conversation with them about are they hiring? Really put yourself in their shoes, really put them first and 
sure. Are there some folks who, who might take advantage of that or not reciprocate on that? Yes, absolutely. I think that that's just like more of a human thing, nothing against VCs. But I think if you really open yourself up like that and really try to genuinely be helpful, it's actually going to be really empowering to you because you're going into every interaction with a positive attitude, being really ready to be helpful with specific ideas of how to be helpful. If you're coming with that approach, then it's actually incumbent upon you to follow up with that person, check in how they're doing, figure out how else you can be helpful for them weeks or months after maybe you met them for the first time. And I think really taking that approach is one of the keys to not only the venture job search, but frankly, just building a career in the venture ecosystem. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to our newsletter for more research at goingvc.com and consider giving us a gift by rating us and sharing the podcast with a friend wherever you're listening to this episode. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.